Connor, so let's set the scene. Think back to Southern Methodist University. You're at this school. You're surrounded by students that want to go into banking and finance. I think you're also surrounded by family who are working in that world. There might be this like external pressure that you need to go step into this world or that maybe you think that's where you need to go. And that's what you do. You graduate. You spend a year and a half at Goldman Sachs. You're working full-time for one of the biggest banking companies in the world. But there's a point where you're feeling depressed. You're not enjoying the work. What's going your, through your head at this moment in time? Yeah, yeah. It was a really interesting point in my life. And I remember graduating college. And um, my, my first thought was, okay, I'm going to be the youngest person to ever become like a managing director at Goldman. You know, I'm going to like work my way up and do it in like two years, right? Which is just unheard of. I will say, and, I know you are one competitive individual because there are <laughs> moments that I've heard you talk about in other podcasts where you're like, I'm, I start the marathon and I'm going to be number one, or I'm just going to train yeah. to be an Olympic swimmer and I'm going to do it in a year and a half. Like, I love that about you. You're just competitive yeah. and you just go for it. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is maybe an interesting topic we'll, we can get into. I think the the drive is always there for me. The the preparation maybe isn't always, but... Um, you know, you, you, you can't teach drive, right? So it's, it's good to at least know that I have that. But yeah, so I I remember graduating college and I was just like, so ready to, to work in a way. I think even after my sophomore year, I was like, just so ready to, to get into it, um, to almost start that next chapter of my life. And I I was like, I'm going to be the first one in last one to leave, just work my butt off for one to two years and work my way up and just become so successful in that world. And, um, I remember like two or three months into the, into the job, I was just sitting there like, this is miserable. Even looking at the people that were older than me that had been working there for 10 to 15 years, like all these people are just not happy with their lives. Maybe there's some that loved it and were really into it, but I was just like, I don't want to be that in 10 years. And, um, I remember I I used to have to commute to work before Goldman moved their office to downtown. And it was about a 20-minute drive. And I would listen to the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Mark Manson. I remember we had I remember we had dinner recently and I mentioned that to you. And it just like really inspired me to kind of just like not to not to not care, but like all these little things that I was doing at work that I made such a big fuss about and all of that. It was like, why is it? such a big deal. And in reality, it's not. And I I think through the course of working there, I just found that it really wasn't a good fit for me. And um, I always had this itch to do my own thing. And even going back to like middle school, I had started an eBay business with my dad. And like, I, I always had these little urges and itches to start my own thing and do my own thing. And I think there's always this like, image portrayed to society or even going through school that you have to like put in your time in order to achieve certain things. And in my head, it was like, why, why do I have to do investment banking for two years to then go work at a hedge fund or a private equity firm to then ultimately start my own business or my own investment firm or whatever it was I wanted to do at the time. And my thought was always, okay, how can I skip over all of these steps and just do what I want to do now? And I think like we're going to work at Goldman seemed like a great place to be great thing to have on my resume and all of that. But like I said, I just reached that point where I was just so unhappy with what I was doing every day. And I had like a couple of people and things that inspired me. But I think the thing that really changed things for me was as an analyst at Goldman, you're kind of bucketed into like a certain job and task list, right? So You'd work on the financial models, put together the investment presentations, all of that stuff. You were never the person who would be going and bringing the deals in. And so for me, I was like, I want to do that. That's what the managing directors were doing, the guys that had been there for 10 to 15 years. And I was like, that's what I want to do because I enjoy talking to people. Like I, I just enjoyed that side of the business. And I remember going to my boss and saying, Hey, like just being honest with you, I don't really find this 
part of the business interesting that I'm working on, I'd love to be able to like go try and bring some deals in. And I remember him just straight up telling me no. And I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And I, I went and sat in my desk and was kind of like upset about it for a day or so. And then I just had this realization where I just said to myself, like, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> and I, I like, I still did the work that I needed to do. And I honestly probably did a bad job at it because I just wasn't interested in it. But I also started talking to these investment firms that had these deals that were looking for investors in. And I ended up screening a couple of deals internally within our group. And I was w- probably one of very few analysts to ever do that. And I remember, I remember the first deal I screened. Um, usually there weren't many questions that were asked of like the people and you present this to probably 50 people within the firm. And I remember everyone was being such a like kind of a dick on, on the call asking the most difficult questions. And then after the call, no one even like congratulated me or was like, Hey, Connor, like awesome job, dude. That's so cool that you did that. Um, like keep it up. The only thing that did happen is my boss brought me into his office and told me not to do it anymore. And I was like, you know what? This is just not the place for me and not what I want to do. If I want to do my own thing, I need to leave. I need to get out of this environment and almost just remove myself from it because it was becoming such a like a mental strain to wake up every day and go in somewhere where I wasn't able to shine, where I felt like I actually could do my best work. And that's ultimately kind of what, what led me to just get out of there. Yeah. Well, props to you for once to actually just like boss tells, you no, and you're just like, I'm just going to go do this myself. I think that takes mm-hmm. quite a bit of confidence, but also I think those are, that's a example of, I think the moments in which we have to lean into doing the thing, even, even if others are telling us not to do it. So props to you. This so when I was doing the research and, and, we might've chatted about this a little bit when I first met you, but just like hearing that part of your story was just like, so hit home to me because it was, you know, I went my, during an internship of my junior year, I realized, holy shit, the thing that I thought I've always wanted to do with my life is actually not what I wanted to do, which is like corporate America, drive a nice car, wear a nice watch, have a nice suit. And I just like, same thing. I saw people that were 20 years, 15 years older than me and just like not happy falling through the motions. And it was just like this light bulb moment of like, I cannot allow myself to do it. And that's when I just going into my senior year, I just completely hit the reset button. I'm like, we're not applying to a single job unless it like screams, I want to do this. And it never did. And that's why I then spent the next three and a half years driving Uber. But you know, there's, there's the, there's the, ah, recognizing I don't like what I'm doing. And then just like telling yourself that someday it's going to change. And then 20 years later, it doesn't actually change. But you still were able to find the confidence to take that action. And I had heard in a previous podcast, you had said, things started to work out for me when I started to do the things I wanted to do versus doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which would be just sticking in the job, you know, get your years of experience, then use that and go get another job. So what's giving yourself at that moment in time or how have you learned how to give yourself that permission to just pivot, to not care what your parents might say, what friends, what colleagues might say. Like that ability to just make the change and just go do it is in of itself such a challenging thing. But once you get used to that uncomfortability, you can just make these changes in your life without even thinking about it. And it just allows you to design a life truly that is aligned with you, regardless of what others might think. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um... I, I, I just remember you, you kind of reached such a low point and I, I, not that everyone reaches this low point in their life, but I think you have moments where you see like the lowest of lows. And to, to me, it was always, I, I know that if I put myself out there, if I work hard, I like, it's not going to get worse than that. And I, to, to me, the best investment is always in yourself. I, I know a lot of people have said that. And it was like, why am I spending all this time on other people, other companies, other things, when I can just be investing that time in myself, doing what I want to do? But I, I think the thing that really like turned things around for me is a lot of times it's tough. 
I think as an individual to see like the long-term picture of things. And so it's helpful at times to surround yourself with people that can motivate you or uh, be like that, that ray of light to like guide you in the right direction. Right. And so at the time I was living in an apartment where a lot of kids live directly out of college and was just like surrounded by that crowd that was going out and partying every weekend, doing all that stuff. And so when that lease was up, I was like, Hey, if I want to ultimately do my own business or do my own thing, like I need to surround myself with a different set of people. So I moved to a different apartment in Dallas that was a lot of like young professionals. It was a much nicer place. And I just knew if I put myself out there, I'm going to find the right people. Mm -hmm. First week of living there, I made a point to never eat dinner in my apartment. So I would make dinner in my apartment and I would go eat in the common area. Um, and within the first week I met this guy who lived in the penthouse and he was like the life of the party was such a, like a great energy to be around. And we started talking and he just like, he ended up really like clicking with me and he had started a couple of businesses when he was 19, dropped out of college, did all this like really awesome stuff. And he was 50 plus years old and was just kind of like enjoying life. Um, and he almost like took me under his wing in a way. And every week would kind of give me these little tidbits of knowledge and everything. And he just really encouraged me to kind of take control of what I wanted to do. And I, I think around the same time, is when that stuff happened at Goldman. And I just had this realization of like, you know, I was 24 at the time. To me, and I, I think I read this as a quote somewhere, but it's almost human nature when your back is against the wall that you figure it out mm. one way or another. And so I felt like I was working at this comfortable job, getting paid a great salary. And I could have done that for years, right? I could have worked my way up to managing director, gotten paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, made great bonuses, started a family, done all of that. But it would have never like gotten me to where that ultimate goal was. And I was my thinking was, hey, I don't want to be 30 years old, 40 years old with a family and kids and not be able to take that risk or regret not taking that risk to do my own thing. And so it might not work out at all, but I want to bet on myself, invest in myself. And if I can put myself in an uncomfortable situation, that's where the best growth comes as a human being. And so that's more or less what my thinking was and what I tried to do. Yeah. I mean, we, we human beings love to just see like dollar signs and think like, okay, mm -hmm. I'll do whatever it is that I need to do to make that amount of money. But we, so often forget like the time that is spent doing it. And it's like, regardless if you were making hundreds of thousands of dollars, if, if you're not actually enjoying the work at the end of the day, it is a waste of time and your lifestyle is going to elevate. You're going to get your, what feels like that ceiling of like what the life could be with the new salary and X, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, at some point that is your new floor. And you're just like, I don't actually enjoy doing this thing. So for me, it's always been mm -hmm. like, you could pay me $10 million tomorrow to go learn to be a doctor, but I'm not going to take that because I don't actually feel passion towards being a doctor. And yeah, it just, it rings so true to me also being in that same position where it's like, you know, at the time of this, by the time this is public, like I'm no longer with liquid IV, but I've been in a very safe position for the last two to three years, even though I knew it wasn't the thing I wanted to do as my passion or my purpose. It was using that as a way to fund everything else that I was doing. But to put myself in that position of, I'm leaving, I have an idea of where this is going to go, but I also am not guaranteed. It's risky, it's exciting, but it's also like, like you said, when your back's against the wall, it's human nature to just find a way to make it work. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that for myself. But what you, you kind of like, you said it and then you kind of just kept going, but I love that you intentionally put yourself in the lobby to eat dinner. And what was like your mindset? Was it just like, I'm just going to talk to anybody that walks by or what was, what was, what was inside you saying, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to allow myself to eat dinner in my own room. I don't know if I had read that in a book or heard it somewhere else, but my thinking was 
you know, okay, if I moved here, I'm not just going to meet these people by going to work and coming home and just staying in my apartment all day. Right. So the only way for me to actually run into these people, meet these people is to put myself in a place where they might be as well. And so it was honestly one of the first few nights of living there. This girl, her name was Roni. She was, she had moved to the U S from South Africa. Um, she came down and was watching TV where I was, got to know her. We became friends. She had met the guy who lived in the penthouse and they all came down one of the next few days. And it, it became this like incredible little circle of people that we were all just hanging out with each other. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of human beings just kind of like, I, I am a very introverted person. So it was super uncomfortable for me to do that. But like connection and community is one of the most important things as a human. And, you know, if, if I'm just going home and going to my apartment, watching TV, you really like isolate yourself a lot of times. And there are times where I like love doing that for sure. But I felt like I was doing that a lot before and I wasn't growing. And so for me, it was like, in order for me to grow, I need to kind of like expand and uh, push myself in a way to, to meet other people, build new connections and like develop that community a little bit. Um, because it, like you can learn so much from other people and everyone's story is like very inspiring and it, it's just really good to surround yourself with those people. But to me, more or less it was, Hey, how can I put myself in an uncomfortable position where I can meet people who knows what will come from it. But I just knew living in that apartment, these are the people that I want to connect with and be around. And it just seemed like a very logical thing to do. Yeah, I, I think um, I think we've all heard the quote, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I don't think you fully understand it until you either, one, pull yourself away from the environment that is having the negative ripple effect on you. And then two, putting yourself in that environment that has that positive ripple effect. And it's it's just completely changes your reality and the conversations you have and the invitations for what you're getting invited to. So, I mean, that's a, that's a massive step that you took that, you know, allowed you to, to grow. Um, fast forward a couple of years, there's some stuff in between that I think we'll get to maybe towards the end of the podcast, but fast forward a couple of years, you get connected to Mike and it's the, it's, or I think fall of 2020 is when you guys end up launching Waterboy. I'm curious as someone coming from a previously massive successful hydration brand. Um, what is your guys' mindset, right? You guys are coming together. We're going to create this hydration product, but comma, we see all these other brands that are already crushing it, are already successful. There's people that could easily say, you know what? There's already others doing it. Let's move on. Let's find the product that nobody's created yet and let's go do that. But you guys leaned into it. What was your guys' mindset and trying to create something when you knew there were other major competitors that were doing it at scale? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting because I feel like we came in at a, a time where there were a, a few very large companies that were doing it, but all of these smaller players hadn't necessarily entered yet. So I think we were... Not that we were one of the first new players to enter, but I think we were kind of at the, the front end. If you look now, I almost see a new hydration product launch every week. Um, and I get targeted by all of their ads, but we, we just kind of felt that even though liquid IV elements, um, noon, some of these other hydration companies had carved out really great brands and had huge customer bases and audiences that there was still a lot of white space within hydration. And, um, for us, I, I mean, it, it's just kind of making hydration functional and specific for when you need it. Um, but I don't know. It's it's interesting at the start of coming up with a business idea because like you can have all of these end goals in mind of like, hey, this is what we want the business to be in five, 10 years, where we want it to go, all of that. But at the time, it's just more like, hey, this is a great idea. Let's just rip it and go for it and do it. And I think that is a lot of times my mindset. It, it's less of... Um, like, let me plan every single thing to nauseum. And then by the time I start doing it, I've wasted three plus months versus let me just do it. 
and then take the learnings from doing it and iterate on it and grow it. And that is essentially what we did. Like the first product we launched with, I think Mike would be very transparent about it too, tasted horrible. And um, it was just like not not good. Uh, But from that, we had a lot of great learnings from it. We realized we needed to change the formula, the packaging, all of that. And we threw a lot of different iterations throughout the business of grown it into something that people do like and care for. Um, but yeah, I, I think at the time it was just like a lot of excitement of, Hey, this is a great idea. Both Mike and I were very entrepreneurial. We're kind of looking for the next thing we wanted to do in our lives. And again, it kind of gets back to that point of like, I was 20, I think I was 26 or 27 when I met him and just really didn't have any like obligations or anything else going on in my life to that would like limit me from doing it and loved the idea. I was like, Hey, this is really cool. This could be something really incredible. Um, I don't know what that looks like yet, but I just, I loved it. And mm-hmm. I loved the, not necessarily the uncertainty, but I loved like in a way the uncertainty of it. Um, and just like what it could be. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that you're coming from a place where you already prioritize wellness and fitness, it's like, mm-hmm. that's a no brainer to want to, you know, create right. a product. And then two, I'm such a believer of like creating the blueprint as you go. And I think oftentimes mm-hmm. the biggest resistance people have to putting on the running shoes to go for the run, to starting the business idea, to hitting the reset button is we think that we have to have it all like figured out, like, I'm going to wear these shoes and I'm going to run this far with these clothes. Like we just like create so much noise when the, like you said, like the best thing that you can do is just do and like let the action do. And I feel like that's what you, you guys have done so well. did so well in that early stage was like you took people along for the ride of like, here's us building this product. And then when it launched, you've had all these people like building a pipe. Like I even use that presently in my strategies, like, I'll post something, get a feeler for it. Oh, you like this? Join this wait list. And then when it launches, now I have 200, 1,000 people waiting for the product instead of out of the blue saying, hey, here it is. Does anyone want this? And people are like, what, are you, what is this? We, we, we weren't asking for this. Yeah, no, exactly. And there's, there's a, it's another quote I love. It's the wealthiest place in the world is the cemetery. And it's because so many people die with all these incredible ideas, these incredible things that they want to do, and they never do them. And I feel like a lot of times the reason is because there's so much, um, like people just think that they can't do it or so much like work needs to go into it. Or it's almost like an analysis paralysis type thing too, or you just overthink it and never do it. And then you get to a point in your life where you can't because of other obligations, so for us, it was always just like, like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And that's, if you like, our story was very much that way. And even today, that's still kind of how we operate. We just do things and then like take the results and iterate on it. I think now that we've grown to a certain size, it, like planning can be a little more helpful, um, for us, but, um, that what you just mentioned is more or less how we started. We, we made a, Mike made a TikTok video in his car. We had no followers. We had no website. Um, we had no product yet. And that video did well, had a lot of people that were interested in it. It was just talking about what the idea was and it was, oh, okay, Hey, that video did well. What if we make a website and have people give us their email address or phone number? So we did that. We got all these phone number signups and then it was, oh, Hey, we don't have a product yet, but what if we do a pre-sale for the product? So we did that. We sold out everything that we were planning on making two months later within a day. And then it was like, Oh wow. Like maybe we should make more X, Y, and Z. So it all kind of like fell into place in a way as we went along. But I think like in starting a business and a lot of times in life, one of the most important things is just being able to adapt. Right. And kind of like roll with it and build off of it. And we were fortunate that we did have a lot of traction initially, but Um, I think in the way that we like executed on that and kept building off of it is what made it into more of a business versus, um, kind of like a gimmicky one-time product. Yeah. 
from my understanding, both you and Mike come from solopreneur operations, right? Or at least being your own entrepreneurs and then maybe having outsourced some of the work, but still you're making your own decisions and you're essentially running the whole thing. What has been some of the harder lessons that you've had to learn now working with a co-founder? Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a good one. Um, well, I would say working alone is incredibly difficult and lonely a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was a big struggle for me previously. So even through the struggles that Mike and I have had in starting this together, like I would take that any day over doing something alone. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think in starting a business, like at least for the first year, there's just so much excitement and there, it, it takes two people that are willing to like, listen to each other and not get like, so caught up in like, Oh, I'm right. We need to do this X, Y, and Z, but actually listening, understanding and figuring out what is best for the business and removing the, um, like the ego from it. And there's a lot of times where like, we probably don't necessarily agree on certain things, but it, to me, it's, I like, I could care less if I'm wrong, honestly. Um, I just want to do what's best for the company because it, it gets to a point where it's, it's more than just him or me. It's, it's its own thing. Right. And it's like, how can I nurture this company, this like child, if you will, and grow it and help it be as successful as it can be. Um, and yeah, I think you just have to kind of like take the ego out of it, but I mean, there, there, I'm there, there's for sure been times where we've disagreed on certain things. Um, I mean, there was a time I wanted to buy, uh, a, a full school bus that was a, a blue color. I was like, Oh, this would be so cool. And I, at the time I thought it was an incredible idea. We never did it because Mike was like, no, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> so thank, thankful that we don't own a, a school bus. Um, and then like vice versa, there's probably things that he's wanted to do. And it's like, no, we, we shouldn't do that. But I, I think as long as there's a willingness to like work together and remove your ego from it and almost work towards like a greater goal, then it all kind of comes together. But there, there, I watched the, the movie, the boys in the boat over mm. Christmas. You should, you should check it out. I feel like you would love it, but it's essentially a, the U S Olympic rowing team. I forget the year, but I think it was before world war two. And, um, it was a JV team from the university of Washington. They beat out their varsity team. And it was, this team was like kids that had never rowed before. They beat out the varsity team. They beat all the schools on the East Coast. They ended up going to the Olympics and they beat Germany to win the gold medal. Wow. And it, it's just like such an inspiring story. But the message was more of like in order for rowers and a rowing crew to do well, you all have to work as one. Like the, the boat is one, right? And if you're rowing individually, or on separate paces or cadences, it throws off the entire boat and you lose. And so for a while in the movie, they were doing that. And then they really honed in on like being one. And I think that is how I see the business in a way. It's more than just one person. Um, It's more than just one thing. Everyone needs to be working towards a cohesive goal and rowing together and they can all be doing separate things, but it all needs to be towards that greater mission. Mm, I'm going to have to watch that. That sounds really up my alley. Two thoughts come to mind. One is um, I know he's not the originator of it, but I can quote him because that's who I got it from. But Nick bear, he really loves to hone in on saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it really hits home of like, it's if you were if you're trying to go the distance in anything, you're gonna need that team. But I also read um how I built this. I don't know if you've listened to the podcast mm-hmm. by Raz before. He ended up putting out a book, really good book for anyone listening that is in the entrepreneur space, starting your own business. It's like almost like a I'd say like the business 
Bible of just lessons. And he pulls from all these different stories. But one interesting theme that he saw through and all the guests they had interviewed, I forget the percentage or I forget what the statistic was, but almost like 90% of the businesses uh, that he had interviewed and had massive success had co-founders. Mm-hmm. And, and that was what um, one of the, I think he had a, a, a VC on his podcast at one point. And I think that was one question the VC will ask almost as the first question uh, when talking to a, a startup business is, do you have co-founders? Because they found that there was more success with multiple people taking on the, the load than if it was just a singular person, which I thought was really interesting. But I think it just hits home on you know being able to rely on other people and how important it is to, you know I'm sure you have certain strengths that maybe are Mike's weaknesses and Mike's weaknesses might be your strengths. Like it balances itself out, which just allows you guys to operate so much more efficiently and, and faster. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, that's a super interesting point that you made, but I can see how that makes sense. I mean, even even if you just think of like, the ideas that go through one's head, if you multiply that by two, right, there's just so many different things you can think of different projects and things you're working on as a company. And so it multiplies everything you're doing by two, essentially. Um, But yeah, I love that quote. And I've heard it before, but it's so true. And it like anyone who has started a company, you definitely have a realization of that. But if I look at the time between Mike and I, there, there's a limit to how much work you can do. And then if you essentially back into that, how much as a company in revenue I can do because of the work that we're doing. So in order for us to grow further, it's, Hey, I need to hire people that can carry out the same mission, doing different things and tasks. Otherwise, you're not going to grow. So you can grow really quickly alone or with two co-founders, right? But in order to get far or farther, you need to be able to to execute amongst a wider group of people and grow as as one in a unit. Um, so that that's like the interesting place where we're at now. We we we've obviously had a couple people work with us over the last year or so who have been great additions to the team, but um, it's, it's like, how can we hire certain people in particular areas that can carry out this mission and, um, help us like take the company to the next step. And anyone that has done that before knows that it's definitely a challenge, but, um, it's, you know, it's the life cycle of any company, right? You, you know, every year, every day is a new challenge. You just have to kind of adapt with it. Yeah. I'm curious, um, going off of like you mentioned, like, um, completing tasks, right? Like I I feel like you're someone outside looking in who you're very regimented, you're very routine, you're very scheduled. I'm imagining and tell me if I'm wrong, that you're someone that like, when it comes time to start working for the day, you kind of can just get right on into it. Like, you know, what needs to get done. You're pretty clear. How do you manage your time so that you're effective, like getting stuff done in an efficient manner, manner, how do you know what tasks to prioritize when? What does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good one. And I would say, although on the surface it might seem like I am very organized and regimented, I, I think for the most part I am. But I would say a lot of times, and a lot of people that are entrepreneurs can probably relate to this. At some point during the day, a lot of times the wheels fall off the train and it just yeah. goes a little chaotic. And that's where just adapting kind of comes into play. Um, but that that's like that that's an interesting point because Mike and I are at this place where it, it was helpful to go home during break and like spend some time away and reflect and like take a, a view out from the company and like a ten thousand foot view, right? And say, hey, let's reflect on the last year and what do we need to do differently this year and going forward and. I think a lot of times we didn't have like processes and things in place or even metrics to base things off of if it was successful or not. So we're at this place now where how can we put people into very specific roles and buckets that are going to move the needle and move us forward um, and just be able to execute and have plans and processes in place to where 
the wheels don't fall off the train every day and everyone knows what's going on is very, um, everything is very transparent and open. And it's not like a surprise if X, Y, or Z happens in the company, it just, everyone knows what's going on. But to me, to, to me, I, I think this kind of gets to your question. It's like every day for me has a start and an end and those need to be very consistent. So if I, I know that if I wake up at the same time every day, if I get a workout in before work, if I eat my breakfast and do all of those things before I sit into my chair at work, then I will be able to start and be super focused and dialed in. If I don't, then the day is just all over the place for me. And mm-hmm. I've, I've had that realization happen so many times to where it is all over the place that I just have such a drive that it's like, I do not want to do that or have that happen to me. So that is almost what motivates me a lot of times to, to do some of this stuff is it's like, I just know my day is going to be not great if I don't do this. Um, and a lot of times a good morning routine starts with a good nighttime routine. So it's, Hey, am I eating dinner by a certain time? Am I turning off the TV? Am I going to bed by a certain time and getting a good night's sleep? And if all of that stuff happens, then I will always have an incredible day, regardless of how chaotic it can be between the hours of 9.30 to 5.30. Um, but to, to me, it's always that start and end. It's how can I make that as consistent as possible? And then the rest can be all over the place, but it's just that that time to me is so important. Well, I'm curious, right? So I'm, I'm I'm on a walk last night and I'm about to be, I'm one house away from getting back to my place and I could see into my neighbor's front window. He had the TV on and he was in like a computer chair. And every time I walk by, he's always, I can tell just like in a doom scroll, he's always just scrolling away. It's just so obvious, right? And um, I just like see that and I'm like, man, you know, I know there's time and place for when you're allowed to enjoy yourself. But at some at some point, I'm just like, I feel like, this is like a problem for him. Like he's probably doing this at 1 p.m. at 8 a.m. Like it doesn't matter time of day. He just gets caught in the scroll. And I'm someone that's very aware and just like knows when to turn it on and when to turn it off. With that being said, how like it's I know how I'm, it's so important to me. Regimented, know when to go to bed, when to wake up, when to go to the gym, like all these things. But even then, how are you holding yourself accountable to doing it? Because even this morning, waking up, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to meditate. I don't want to sit down and journal. I don't want to do these brain games, but I do it because I've just, I hold myself to that standard. What is it within you? Is it, is it, you know, the competitiveness from when you were a swimmer? Is it just like knowing how it feels like the, like the after effect, that's what motivates you. Like what gets you to actually fall through on the accountability of it? Cause no one's watching you. You don't have a coach there mm-hmm. waking up next to you like, Connor, let's go time to get to the gym time to do this. This is all mentally coming from you, which is such a powerful skill set to develop. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's the feeling for sure. Um, I mean, anyone that's gone on a run before done something like that, you get that runner's high after and it kind of keeps you wanting to do it and you probably just feel good. Um, or anyone that's eaten healthy, the, the first two weeks of eating a certain diet or eating healthy is probably not fun but after a certain point you start to feel good feel amazing you see results from it and then you want to keep doing it because you love it um and so to me a lot of times that that is more or less what kind of drives me to do it i mean all of the like supplements and vitamins and things that i take not that i don't love them but you know you take it because of the feeling and what it can do for you right and i i feel like the main thing is I've seen how I feel when I don't do that stuff, Mm. how unproductive I am when I don't do it, how unfocused I am. And it's just like, in order for me to achieve my goals, I know that I can't be like that every day. Mm. And so I need to be a hundred percent and show up not only for Waterboy but for myself. And in order for me to do that, this is what I need to do. So some of those things, to be honest, I'm still figuring out. Like, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I have this incredible routine that's just so dialed in. Um, because there's some days where it just totally doesn't doesn't work out for me. Like today, for I mean, even today, for example, like I woke up, 
Um, I didn't work out right away. Ended up going to work because I, I actually woke up with a lot of energy. So went right into work, got in at 8.30, which is about an hour earlier than I would normally get in. Was working for a while and then my computer shut down. It didn't work. So just all these annoying things happen. I had to get a, a new camera. Um, was going to work out in the middle of the day. Didn't get in on time. So only had like a 30-minute workout. So just, I mean, all those things started happening and now the day got a little chaotic because of it. But to, to me, even today is a great example of, Hey, if I had just woken up when I normally would worked out, done all of that, it wouldn't be a question now at 3 PM of, Hey, are you going to work out today? Or are you going to finish that 30 minutes that you did before? Uh, like it would already be done and I would feel good and would feel focused. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just to sum it up, it's the feeling, and it's also the feeling of I don't want to be unproductive or not feel good or all of that. And if I do X, Y, and Z, I know I will feel good. Yeah, I think we have to, as humans, remember the finish line to get us to mm-hmm. cross the starting line. Like that's the reason why I get my ass out the door. Is I'm not excited to walk into the gym. It's that feeling walking out, but also how important it is to just schedule things in in advance or not wasting this mental energy of like, do I go to the gym at 10? Do I go to the gym at one at three? Right? Like, you know, like you said, like this is the once in a blue moon where the day kind of got thrown off, but also props you because you're able to pivot. Some people, their whole day would be thrown off and just be like, all right, the day's gone. You're just like in real time making those adjustments, which I think is a, which is a power uh, of yours. Um, with building a business, and I've, I've been there before, so this is coming from personal experience, we love to rationalize that because we're building a business, we don't have time for the gym. Because we're building a business, we don't have time for a relationship. Because we're building a business, we don't have time for life experiences, right? How have you learned to prioritize your relationship with Jenna while building Waterboy at the same time and not feeling like... Um, you know, There can be that like guilt of like, now I'm prioritizing the relationship, so man, I wish I was working on the business or vice versa. Yeah, I I think we're both at an interesting point where we both have a lot of incredible things going on for us. And she's obviously built an incredible business too. I, I can see how sometimes if people aren't both doing that, that it can create problems in a relationship because you just aren't necessarily in the same wavelength. But for for us, we're very much in the same like wavelength with what each of us are doing. And there was a time where I think lines were very blurred where we would come home after work and it was just talking about stresses of this happened to me today. This happened to me today. And it, instead of like filling each other's buckets up, it would just drain both of our energy. Mm-hmm. And that I would say created a lot of like stress and even just stress and like coming home because it wasn't, like a positive, safe place a lot of times. And I think now, over the last year, we've really made it made a point of it to where when we come home, it's like, hey, let's turn our phones off. Let's, let's not scroll social media. Let's not send emails. Let's like actually spend time with each other, be present. And I think that has helped a lot. So it, it, it's a lot better and easier for us. It's like, hey, during, during the day, like, yes, we need to show up for each other. But most importantly, we need to show up for ourselves. And like, if if we want to focus on building our businesses and working, like, let's do that during the day, Monday through Friday, like, nine to five, be dialed in doing that. And then after work, like, let's, let's make a point of it to spend time with each other on the weekends. Let's make a point of it to spend time with each other and, and focus our attention on each other. Um, because not only is that helpful, and healthy, as a like for a relationship, but I think even anyone that has started a business, like you need to disconnect from that too. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, that just like, it's, it's hard sometimes to even take that outsider perspective and like that 10,000 foot view and you're so in the weeds 24 seven and you just get burned out. Right. Um, so I think it's, we, we've just done a really good job at making like intentional quality time for each other. Um, and then even adapting that too. like for a while it was really like, Hey, every Wednesday we're going to do a date night and 
we did that for probably a couple of months. And then it, I remember I was, um, I was just having thoughts of, okay, this is like, I love the date nights, but it's tough to, for me to do it during the week because then it kind of throws my schedule off. So we had a conversation of, okay, what if we do this on Fridays or Saturday nights where there's not this as strict of a routine on a weekend night and we can maybe spend a little more time and it's not like, Oh, I have to go to work tomorrow, but it's, we can maybe sleep in or, you know, it's, it's not as um, regimented as much during the weekend. So I think part of it is like adapting to and figuring out what works best for, for the two of us and what we're trying to both do in our lives. Yeah. I've been, I've been working through that the last couple of months moving in with Kate. Um, mm-hmm. One thing that came to my mind was a, a couple of years ago, I actually had the pleasure to interview uh, Mateo, the founder and CEO of uh, Eight Sleep. And he, he uh, I don't believe his wife is co-founder, but his wife is the CMO of the company at the time was, I'm not sure if she still is. I believe she is, but I was cracking up because they had created a boundary where at the end of the day, right after 5 PM, there's no business talk allowed. So it, there's times when he'd have like this idea and he'd want to share it with her. And so he would literally <laughs> have to write her an email sitting next to her, send it. <laughs> you would hear her phone buzz from the notification and they would act as if like, you know, we're not going to talk about it right now. We're going to talk about it tomorrow when, when we're actually working during our hours. So it's very easy to, like you're saying, it's very easy to blend and allow that to just be like fluid, but you also have to like get very clear on when are we allowed to talk about these things and when are we not. And Renee mm-hmm. Brown also had a really good clip about um, being in a relationship with a partner and and knowing that it's not a 50-50 game. That sometimes, you know, the partner will show up and be at a 20 and it's like, okay, you hope that the other partner can step up for the other 80 or, you know, maybe uh, one partner's at a 20 and the other one's at a 10. It's like, okay, how do we give ourselves both the space that we need because we both recognize like, it's just, we're just not in a good headspace right now. So yeah, it it's outside looking in and also being in it myself. It definitely helps to be with a partner that's also on a very similar path of entrepreneurship, building their own business, building their own thing, because it's just not, you know, it's not perfectly laid out. You have to create these boundaries and these systems and these routines. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think it drives Kate, my girlfriend, crazy sometimes that I'm so regimented, but I'm like, you have to understand this. <laughs> what allows me to be the man that you love without this, um, it's mm-hmm. chaos. I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah. 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 And I, I would say too, with Jen and I, it's nice because we are, we're doing a very similar thing in different spaces, but it's, it's nice to have someone to talk to that can relate to it. And I think even when she started doing social media stuff, it was helpful for her because I could relate to that. And then just doing our own things now, like we, she, she's very creative. She's maybe not as regimented as I am. I'm pretty regimented. And I think both of us benefit from that at times. Cause I think there's times where I'm almost too regimented, um, that I don't have fun even on like the weekends, let's say, um, and then there's times where she wants to be more regimented and so I can help with that. So it's nice because I think we do like build each other up very much. And, um, it, it's been, it's been great for both of us, but I would say too, I, I was watching, uh, one of your clips of it, it gets to this, but you were saying that you used to wake up really early or you wake up really early and you would go to the bathroom and would make a lot of noise and it would bother Kate. And then you all had a conversation. It was like, Hey, when you wake up, can you use the bathroom outside? And I, I think that's kind of how it, a lot of times it's been with the two of us. Like we just adapt and there's things that bother us or like things that we want to fix in our relationship. And it just starts with communication. Oof. And, um, I mean, it, that I think that like, I Jenna would admit it too. There's been times in our relationship where communication is broken down. And I think that happens a lot of times in many relationships. Um, but communication is by far the most important thing. And if you can't communicate, then you can't really have a relationship. So, um, it's just like prioritizing that communication, making intentional time for each other to where you can communicate and talk about a variety of different things is just so incredibly important. And that has been, for sure over the last four months, like a very big, um, 
thing that we tried to make a point of and it's it's helped a ton yeah i appreciate you sharing that i was smirking when you made that comment because it's it hits so hard home for me of like the last 12 months of um definitely on my end needing to learn how to be a better communicator because i'm somebody that Mm -hmm. will tell someone straight but then when it came to an intimate relationship i was like i don't want to hurt their feelings and like it was something that i had to overcome but it is so freeing and so necessary to just communicate these little things and then making those adjustments. And um, yeah, I still have my hiccups, but I, it's, it's just so easy to do, but yet as humans, as I'm sure there's other men or maybe other women out there that hear this, like it's just hard to do because sometimes you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, but ultimately you're not communicating and thinking that they understand you and they know what's bothering you nothing gets resolved, which builds resentment and then it becomes a bigger issue. So, uh, very much hits home with, with what I, where I've been at in the last 12 months. Um, at the time of this recording, this episode is January 5th for context. This won't come out until February, but right now, obviously we're hearing new year, new me. A lot of people are making these adjustments in their life. Is an area, is there an area of your life that you've identified that needs more effort or that you need to reprioritize a little bit? Yeah. I would say, I mean, there, 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 there's a few areas. I think it really comes down to, if, if I could say two traits that I think are incredibly important for someone to be successful, at least the way that I would view success is disciplined and the ability to adapt. I think I'm really good at adapting. And I think a lot of times the discipline is very much there. Um, but it's it's being consistent with that discipline. So to me, it's developing a very consistent disciplined routine Monday through Friday. And, um, I know I can do it cause I've done it and I know what it feels like to do it, which is why I want to do more of it. But a lot of times that just starts with that nighttime routine. I think that to me is the biggest thing. Um, shutting off your phone at whatever time that is, getting into bed, turning off Netflix, um, like being intentional about it and following through with it because it's so easy to toss on a Netflix movie and then all of a sudden it's 11 p.m., 11.30 and it's like, oh shoot, how am I going to wake up at 5.30 tomorrow now? And if I do, I'm going to feel tired, which is then going to make me feel tired the entire day. I'm not going to be as focused, all of that. So. I think that's the the biggest thing for me is just to to like not not put tunnel vision on necessarily, but just really stay like focused on that. Yeah, I don't need to coach you through it because I know you you know what you need to do. But it's what you said earlier, which is like the morning falls back on how the evening ends, right? So it's just mm-hmm. like there's times when you know even last night Kate wants to keep watching The Office, and I'm like, listen. I have, I just have to go to bed. I I hate to be like that guy. Like when it's the weekend, I'm much more like open-minded and like we can stay up till whenever and there's no alarm clock the next day. But yeah, it's just knowing just the same way you approach fitness with like, I do it because I know the feeling It's just remembering Mm -hmm. that why it's so important. And, you know, I'm imagining the relationship could be the only real fact, maybe one of the few factors that could cause you to stay up later. And I think it's just communicating and trying to hopefully get maybe Jenna to be on the same like nighttime schedule as you, but it's, it's not mm-hmm. easy. And it's one of those things that obviously you have to, to meet and compromise on. For sure. Let me, let me ask you this. What, what do you think on the point of New Year's resolutions? I've seen a lot of people post about doing 75 hard. What, um, what, what do you think about 75 hard or, or that, that whole like concept? Yeah. So I, uh, I tried 75 hard two ish years ago and I failed after like 25 days or something. I think mm-hmm. I missed a workout. It is something on my hit list to do again at some point, but I also think it's just like, it can be very, I don't know for some people it's that reset they absolutely need. And that's very toxic. I actually met a guy on Tuesday. Um, I was in downtown walking and he came up to me and said, Hey, I follow you on Instagram. And I said, you know, we're talking to him and he's like, Oh, I just started 75 hard. And he said that and it kind of hit my heart because I'm like, mm, is this just happening because it's the new year, new me? I would love to get an update from him after the 75 days and him telling mm-hmm. me I did it because I feel like it sets up a lot of people for not success. It's like new year, new me, hit the reset, two workouts a day, oh, drink a gallon, you know, gallon of water, eat like it's way too elevated too quickly. So do I love the 75 heart challenge? Yes. 
Do I think there should actually be like requirements before opting in? Probably. Um, I can hear Andy Frisella like screaming at me right now saying like, <laughs> stop being so soft and let people do this. Mm-hmm. But I like, I truly believe like it's all about sustainable consistency. And I think there's a one in a million person that is sitting on their ass watching TV every day, hasn't worked out in six plus months. There's one in a million of them that's going to say yes to 75 hard and actually fall through all the way. What would have looked like if you said, hey, if you want to do 75 hard, the requirements is for the next 30 days, you have to work out five days a week for 30 minutes. You need to drink half, like build people up to that moment. Don't just throw them into the fire. So I love the intent. I've created my own challenge called win your day challenge where it, to me, it's the sustainable. It's like, you know, get in the workout, do the meditation, eat 80, 20 Mm -hmm. diet. I think my challenge, when your day challenge, is actually a good warm up for somebody that wanted to go into 75 hard. But do I love the intent of 75 hard? Yes. And I have not completed it. So I feel soft and I probably should do it at some point. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I, I, I love the, um, I love the challenge. And to me, I, I think that was started more for, uh, like a mental toughness battle. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's, it's great. You do it for 75 days and then what happens after that? Right. Do you just fall back to those old habits? So it's how can someone create consistent habits that they can take on for the rest of their life? Right. I, th- I think the part that I struggle with, and it's funny because I've heard this like a few times recently, I've just, there's all of these different variations that I see people post about on TikTok and social media, like 75 medium, 75 soft, 30 hard, 30 medium. And I, to me, to me, it's like, I do like that there's different challenges and goals, but it's, it's almost like, uh, saying I'm running a marathon and then like dropping out at mile 22 or, or something. It's like, why not just go for the whole thing? And I get that there's different things that maybe people can and can't do and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying with creating a different, challenge um or something that can build someone up to that right because I, I get that not everyone can do it it's very challenging but it's like why why limit yourself in a way and it's like if you i forget the quote but it's uh if you shoot for the stars and miss you might land on the moon or it might be if you shoot for the moon and miss you might land on a star so it's like why why not just make 75 harder goal and if you don't do it that's fine. You obviously you want to achieve your goal, but you probably would have done more than if you just set your goal lower and try and do 75 soft or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. I love that about you because it's the competitiveness where it's like either go all in or not in at all, which I, Mm -hmm. I'm a, I agree. I just think there should be almost like a separate challenge because I don't, yeah. Once again, I'm not trying to say people can't do it, but it's just like that's a big identity shift for someone to go from mm-hmm. zero to like a hundred. I was just listening to an Andrew Huberman Goggins sure. podcast, and Andrew was mentioning like to David, like, hey, I have a friend that's 300 pounds obese. Like he's listening to his podcast right now, probably. And it's true, it's a true friend of Andrew. Like, what does he do? And David's like, straight up, it's probably too fucking late. That's what he says. He's like, if if you can't get off your ass and just finally take that step and you're you know in your late 30s 40s like it's probably too late you probably don't want it bad enough and i think you know that energy coming from david can be misinterpreted a lot of different ways but ultimately what i always point from it is just like we need to stop looking for the thing and like we don't need the challenge we don't need the retreat we don't need the coach we don't need anything we just need to do the damn action and like that small step which once again full circles all the way back to you you're a real, and I'm sure the skills develop, but like you're so much more thinking on the short term than the long term, which I think is a better skill set than thinking long term rather than short, because you can focus on the small daily tasks where some are just like, I haven't ran a mile, but I want to run 26.2. I don't even know where to start. I'm overwhelmed. The reverse of you is like, let me just go run a mile today and then I'll run two miles three days from now. Right. So it's a long winded answer to say, like, just take those initial first steps. 
Yeah, to be honest, I would say I'm probably even a little more extreme in the short term because uh, I the I I read David Goggins' book, and a week later, I signed up for the Dallas Marathon. Uh, the most I had run in the last two years at that point was probably a 5k at one time, but obviously anyone that read his, has read his book. It's, it's like, it fires you up. Right. So I got excited, signed up for the marathon and I, my time was not great. I walked quite a bit, but I finished and it was the most incredible feeling I've probably ever had in my life of accomplishing that, especially with a lot of people telling me that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, but I think the, a lot of times having that balance of short and long-term thinking is super helpful because even with Waterboy, for example, like as a business owner, you do have to kind of think long-term in a way, or at least like maybe not 10 years out, but a year, two years, five years. And that's something that I for sure struggle with a lot. Um, because you, you go to work every day, you get so caught up sometimes in the monotony of it that it's you like lose sight of the bigger picture and that's what something that like mike and i have chatted through recently and has been really helpful and i think planning having these different milestones and goals and um we're kind of adopting like the the eos system a little bit the entrepreneurial operating system and one of the big things in there is like every three months each employee and founder has like a few rocks, which are the main things that you're focusing on and doing. And those are like your goals to achieve for, for those three months. And I think it's helpful because those rocks build towards the bigger rocks for the year, for the five years. So, um, I think it's helpful to think long-term, but then to break it into chunks of shorter term thinking. So I, I for sure love the short term stuff. Like if you asked me to go climb Mount Everest today, I would probably do it. And I, wouldn't necessarily want to train for it. I would just want to go rip it and do it. Um, it, like would, would it work out for me? Maybe not, maybe, but I think sometimes people are so limited on what they do because they think they need to do X, Y, and Z before they do it. And I just think people don't even know the abilities that they have or what they can achieve because they never try because you think that there's so much you have to do before that. And I think it gets back to me, the job I got at Goldman, I thought I would have had to do investment banking for two years before I did it. I, when I was looking for internships, I said, screw it. I'm just going to go do this right away. I was fortunate enough to get the full-time job, um, starting my own company, do, doing all of these, like running a marathon. I just think, yes, there is some preparation and training that should go into stuff, even as like a, a safety measure i wouldn't necessarily recommend anyone just go run a marathon because i did get hurt um from doing it but it was like the most rewarding thing i've ever done in my life and i think people can achieve so many incredible great things you just need to take that limit off of yourself of what you think you can do or what other people tell you you can do because at the end of the day you can really do anything you put your mind to you just have to do it that's a perfect segue to my last question for you, which is what's one challenge you want to put out there to anyone that made it this far in the podcast as they wrap up listening to this episode, taking everything we've talked about today, maybe honestly, even just focusing on the last seven minutes of this conversation because it was so into just like doing the damn thing. What is one challenge you have for the listeners today? Um, honestly, on, on, on the topic of marathons and running, I would... I would challenge everyone to sign up for a marathon and run a marathon this year. And I, I would say too, I, I'm not going to tell people not to train for it. You, you should, you should train for it. But I, I, I think if you look at the, just, if you ask most people if they can run a marathon, I think a lot of people would say no, just because that number seems so daunting to people. But I truly think that anyone can complete a marathon. You don't have to run the whole thing, but I, I think, Everyone can do a marathon. I just remember after I crossed that finish line, I was on the verge of like tears because I was so overwhelmed with what I had just accomplished. And just thinking through like, I didn't even train for this thing. I just did it. Like there were so many moments throughout the entire race where I wanted to drop out. I wanted to quit. Um, was fortunate that I met other people along the race who 
really like pulled each other along and kept each other in it. Um, but I think anyone that can complete that, you just feel so accomplished and you will just be on such a, you will literally be like a freight train rolling down the track and nothing is going to stop you after that. Mm. So yeah, that, that would be my challenge for people. Just pick a, pick a race, pick a date, train as much as you can for it. And when you're in the race, it is the, the most like mentally challenging thing you will ever do. Um, but it is so worth it and so rewarding at the end. Yeah. Go, go run that marathon this year. Tag us if you do. Um, I can say for myself, it's unbelievable what that will mentally unlock for yourself mentally and physically from just doing it. But, um, yeah, I think it's a great physical activity for people to recognize like what they're truly capable of. They actually just sign up and go do it. Where can people connect with you? How can they try Waterboy? Um, yeah, I mean, I mo- most of the time now I, I run through Waterboy. I don't really do much of my own, uh, social stuff anymore. So, um, I think on socials where Waterboy can, and then it's just waterboy.com if you want to check it out. Great. Great. I'll have that all linked up below. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, ladies and gentlemen, share it out, post it to your story. Let us know what was the biggest takeaway. How did you enjoy this episode? I'd be really curious to hear some of your perspectives and also knowing that by you sharing it out, one of your friends in your community might see it, hear it. They might get inspired. They might go run a marathon. So please uh, share out this episode and let us know what was the biggest takeaway. Connor, thank you for being on the show. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate you bringing the good energy. This was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on, dude. It was fun. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Bearded Man Podcast.